I mentioned last time that organization and time management are not top of my list of strengths, but you know what is? My award-winning ability to be distracted. I can do a lot of work from my dining room table, but I get so much more done if I take myself to the getaway. Do you know about this place? There are little cabins in the woods tucked away for privacy with huge windows looking out into the forest. There's a fire pit and picnic table and everything you'd need if you were glamping somewhere. But more importantly, there's no Wi-Fi and no cell service, so you can actually get away from the tech that's taken over our lives. While this might sound like hell to you, it's more like heaven to me. But my expectations didn't match my reality for this little getaway, and it left me feeling a bit vulnerable. Driving out to the gorge, I saw highway signs that said snow tires or chains were mandatory. What? It was almost 50 degrees when I left Portland. There won't be any snow on the passes. Do I even have to go over a pass? I can't remember. Damn it, I should have checked ODOT before I left. I wish I'd figured out how to put on our new tire socks, whatever the hell those are. Thankfully, there were no passes, and the snow socks stayed in their little protective sleeves. But when I got to the getaway, there was about two feet of snow on the grounds. The roads had all been cleared, but the tree coverage was thick enough that it would likely be another month or so before the snow had melted. I'm going to admit to you that I was not prepared for this, and when I went on my little nature walk, I wore the only pair of shoes I brought with me, sneakers. Not exactly what you'd choose when walking on a snow and mud-filled path that had definitely not been cleared. About halfway into the hike, I realized that maybe I shouldn't have just forged ahead in practical footwear be damned. Maybe this was a mistake. After all, it wouldn't be very good if I wiped out and broke something in the middle of the woods when my cell phone was now nothing more than a camera. And suddenly, it dawned on me how similar this experience was to parenthood. Y'all, it's always on my mind. Signing on to raise a newborn to adulthood is such a vulnerable experience that you might find yourself worried about every step you're taking. What if you're not feeling fully prepared for this? What happens if you fall? Are you ready to get messy and to feel a little lost at times? Thankfully, there were places that people had walked before me so I could use their steps as a guide. On the slippery parts, Mother Nature had dropped enough needles, moss, and bark to give me some extra traction. And when I stopped long enough to catch my breath, I was able to take in the beauty all around me and also find the directional signs to help me get back to the main road. The same is true for parenthood, y'all. There are people who've done this before you who are willing to share their own missteps as well as how they eventually found their footing. Taking breaks, asking for help, and staying in the moment can be a reminder that you already have a sense of direction for what works for your family. Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family, in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, Raising the next generation is hard, and all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. Expectations and feeling vulnerable are not often linked together, but I think they most definitely should be. When it comes to starting a family, if we have unrealistic expectations about ourselves, our partners, and our babies, 
And when reality comes crashing through, which it always does, y'all, we end up feeling less than capable, lacking in self-confidence, and really, really vulnerable. Providing families with realistic expectations about the wildly transformative experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenting is my jam. There's a finesse to this work, though. There's a line that shouldn't be crossed. Those of us working in this field need to learn how to walk the tightrope of providing realistic expectations without scaring people. We need to be able to share the normal challenges and changes that come with starting a family while sharing the incredible gifts that are also a part of the journey. When folks feel fully prepared and have realistic expectations, they don't have to feel vulnerable and then sorely disappointed when their reality looks nothing like what they'd expected. If we've done our jobs right, families will feel less vulnerable and potentially more delighted and surprised instead. Journalist Claire Howorth writes this in her Time magazine cover article, The Goddess Myth. But for all the communal aspects of bearing and raising children, for all the prescriptions we follow on the path of shaping another human, motherhood is a uniquely individual experience. After the birth, I saw how judgmental I was about parenting styles, one New York City mom says. I realized we all have our path and way of thinking, and what works for each mother is exactly perfect for that child. Another mom who recently gave birth to her third child offers this. What I've learned is there are some things you can control, but there's a lot you can't. We just have to give ourselves a break and do the best we can. The article continues. Motherhood in the connected era doesn't have to be dominated by any myth. Social media can just as easily help celebrate our individual experience and create community through contrast. Moms have to stick together even as we walk our separate paths. We have to spot the templates and realize there are no templates. We have to talk about our failures and realize there are no failures. I highlight this part of the article because to me, it's what we should be paying attention to. The message is that too many mothers are buying into the goddess myth. We're supposed to aspire to the picture of mothering perfection but then feel shame and disappointment if we're anything less than that. I agree 100% that the goddess myth can be very hurtful. But I'm not sure that the rest of the article answers the question in the subtitle. Motherhood is supposed to be all about love and joy, so why do so many moms feel so bad? The author's claim seems to be that the pendulum, now swinging toward choices like natural birth and breastfeeding, is why people are feeling so bad about motherhood. But I believe the real reason so many mothers feel so bad is that whatever choices they make central to their experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, they're not feeling fully prepared for the reality of those choices. And this can lead to false expectations. Add to this that we're socialized in our culture to keep up the appearance of mothering perfection rather than admit to the messy reality that mothering usually is. And the result is that too many are being set up. They're being set up to feel disappointment in their new role as mother, and this is at least as hurtful as buying into the goddess myth. Why? Because we can't mother from a place of confidence and joy, y'all, if we're stuck in the feeling of disappointment. 
What lies in the space between expectation and reality is the potential for disappointment. And the farther apart our reality is from our expectation, the greater the disappointment. But when we're talking about pregnancy, birth, and parenting, the potential exists for far more than just disappointment. Real emotional trauma is possible when our reality doesn't match our expectation because these events are life-changing. So where do these expectations come from? Your own birth story. What were you told about the day you were born? What do you know of your own birth story? The details of your birth story and the way in which the story has been shared with you over time create expectations about pregnancy, birth, and parenting from a very young age. This information is most often shared by the most influential teacher you'll ever have, your own mother. If your mother told you how much they hated pregnancy, that it was a miserable time in their life, this will leave a mark. Likewise, if they tell the story of your birth describing it as the worst pain imaginable, you'd be hard-pressed not to have negative expectations about labor and birth. But in contrast, if they share with you that pregnancy and birth were intense but overall positive experiences for them, then this will become the foundation for how you build your own expectations about these experiences. Instead of being afraid, you might actually be excited and look forward to pregnancy and birth. Popular media. Back in the day when a baby was born on TV or in the movies, scenes of birth were never shown. The birthing person would be wheeled into labor and delivery after giving their partner a kiss goodbye, and they'd go and wait with all the other expectant partners to hear the good news. The baby wouldn't be seen until the end of the show when they'd reunite as a family. But today, on TV or in the movies, You can see it all, and I do mean all. Today, it would be strange not to rush into the labor and delivery unit right along with the birthing person and watch all the action as it plays out. If it's a comedy, you can be sure that at some point the birthing person will holler, You did this to me! at the top of their voice. If it's a drama, the partner will be freaking out as the medical team does everything possible to save the birthing person and the baby during what will, of course, be an emergency delivery. But that's not all. You can go to YouTube and see all kinds of birth, y'all. Here's a person following a choreographed dance created by their OB. Here's a woman having a water birth at home, unassisted. Here's a baby being born on the way to the hospital, and somehow the dad is driving and filming the birth of his baby at the same time. All these images play a part in shaping your expectations around pregnancy and birth. Now, many will downplay these sources as being influential. But research shows that many underestimate the influence popular media plays in creating expectations around pregnancy and birth. Social media. With the rise of social media in our culture, the reality of new mothering has been co-opted to capture only the fun, the beautiful, the perfect moments of motherhood. Social media probably plays a much larger role than people report or even recognize as being influential on their expectations about parenting. But I think there's an even bigger issue with social media and that it's created an arena for judgment without impunity. It's too easy to judge one another as irresponsible or inadequate to the task of parenting when we communicate hiding behind the tiny thumbnail avatar we've created as our online persona. Most people would never repeat what they say online if they were communicating face-to-face with a real-life human being. But no matter the source, these expectations get reinforced by inadequate or incomplete preparation for these major life-changing events. 
makes no difference where the expectations come from, y'all. If we move into pregnancy, birth, and parenting without anyone questioning those expectations, without anyone providing a more complete picture of the potential realities of our experience, the distance between our expectations and our reality will grow. And so will our disappointment. There's a shared responsibility in closing this gap between expectation and reality, both from parents and those of us who work to support them. Expected parents should consider borrowing a method of information gathering from the field of social sciences called triangulation. Triangulation means gathering information from at least three different sources that come to the same conclusion. This way, you can feel more confident that the information is accurate and without bias. It's easy for us to find information that confirms what we already believe. Confirmation bias, that is, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's own existing beliefs or theories, is a very real thing in the larger world, but especially in the world of pregnancy, birth, and parenting. And while this makes sense, there's no other time in your life that you'll feel more vulnerable than when you say yes to becoming a parent. It can be a problem, y'all. To calm your feelings of vulnerability around the big decisions you need to make as a parent, it might be tempting to only look at sources of information that support rather than challenge your decisions. Triangulation of information might help you feel more secure in making those decisions, knowing that they're based on current, unbiased, and evidence-based information. But this responsibility should not be shouldered by just parents. We all need to do our part. In whatever role we're playing in the world of pregnancy, birth, and parenting, be that the provider, the childbirth educator, the L&D nurse, the doula, the lactation consultant, the best friend, the new grandparent, the TV producer, the author, the screenwriter. Y'all, if we're not creating realistic expectations of all that pregnancy, birth, and parenting might be, we're not helping people step into their new roles with confidence or the ability to parent from a place of joy. As birth professionals, it's so important that the information we provide is complete and includes the benefits, alternatives, and risks associated with any decision our families might make about pregnancy, birth, and parenting. People need to know that there really is no right way to do these things, aside from gathering unbiased and evidence-based information and then making the very best decision they can, ideally using a shared decision-making model with all the members of their birth team. People finding themselves disappointed in their parenting reality should question when that disappointment first began and how much it reflects inadequate or incomplete preparation for the realities of pregnancy, birth, and parenting. But it's important that the pendulum not swing too far in the other direction. Lately, there seems to be a wave of essays, articles, videos, and characters on TV shows and movies who share how much being a mother sucks. This seems to be a direct backlash against the goddess myth But it might be going too far, y'all, and I think this can be hurtful too. The reality of mothering is that it's more likely to be the toughest job you'll ever love. Mothering, parenting, will challenge you in every way imaginable. There will be days that you'll second-guess every decision you make from the minute you wake up until your head hits the pillow at night. You'll have times when you think this might just be the stupidest idea you've ever had and that you're not up to the task. But I promise you, you'll also have times where you feel more alive and more in love than you ever thought possible. There will be days where you rock parenthood so hard you amaze yourself. 
But to have these good days, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. You need to look for sources of unbiased, evidence-based information. Then, seek out supportive people and professionals who will very gently challenge any unrealistic expectations you might have. So you can then begin to close that gap between expectation and reality. Once the issue of disappointment is addressed, folks can drop the goddess myth altogether and just get on with the messy, beautiful reality that is mothering. Have you bought into the goddess myth or do you reject it out of hand? Have you felt disappointed in your new role and thought to yourself, why didn't anybody ever tell me it might be like this? What would have helped better prepare you for your new role? I am not entirely sure who is to blame for the rose-tinted vision of motherhood. It doesn't matter how many times someone tells you how tough it is to have a baby. Before you have one, you never quite get it. I often think about vulnerable mothers in tough circumstances and how they manage. Gita, mother of Till. For the past seven years, London photographer Jenny Lewis has been capturing a stolen moment in time in the lives of new mother and baby pairs within 24 hours of birth. To me, the photos are mesmerizing as I recognize and remember myself as a new mama in the disheveled hair, the still pregnant looking bellies, the exhaustion visible in every pore. I love that these are not retouched in any way, because I think that the photographer has really attempted to show a more realistic image of new motherhood. But I find myself more in the faces of those who have a slight smile on their lips, maybe a bit of a gleam in their eyes. Those who seem to be thinking, I can't believe I just did that. I've got a secret. I totally kick ass, and this baby is my proof. At least that's how I felt after the birth of my first baby, and I'm pretty sure a picture taken at that time would have reflected my inner rock star. But the images that linger in my memory are the ones where there are no Mona Lisa smiles, the ones that show a different range of emotions. I have no idea what I'm supposed to think of you, let alone how to take care of you, or my birth was traumatic and I feel ripped off. You can sense the fear, anxiety, or anger behind those eyes that are averted or not making direct eye contact with their baby. I think it's obvious to see the difference between those who are suffering and unsure versus those who look eager and excited to take on their new roles. While it's purely speculation on my part because I haven't interviewed any of these folks and I have no idea about their medical history or how their birth turned out, I'd be willing to guess that unmet expectations definitely played a part and contributed to their looks of disillusionment and overwhelm. This isn't their fault. Like Gita says above, there's a rose-tinted vision of motherhood that's pervasive in our culture, and it doesn't do anybody any favors. Parenting is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life on every possible level. And we need to be sharing this message with more people and more often. There are those who'd say, don't scare them. But realistic expectations are not scare tactics. There will be different aspects of motherhood that others will breathe through that for me personally were ridiculously challenging. Like the entire year that each of my children turned three. 
it never got easier, y'all. Knowing that it's not all rainbows and unicorns allows folks to understand what they're getting themselves and their partners into. Even though I'm just supposed to be talking about how to get a baby out of your body in my childbirth prep classes, I throw in some info about the realities of life with a newborn so that folks have at least heard it from one person before the baby arrives. This is going to be hard. There will be days that you hate it. There will also be days that you can't believe how much you love it. You'll be stretched to your absolute limit multiple times. You'll have a mirror held up before your face every single damn day, and you'll try to be the very best version of yourself. Often, you will fail and be a version of yourself that you really don't like all that much. You'll compare yourselves to others, but why? You, your partner, and your baby are unique individuals, and really the only right way to parent your baby is in the way that's working for your family today. Because It's probably not going to work a month from now, and certainly will have to be tweaked if and when a sibling comes along. The photos of these mothers in their first 24 hours with their babies are raw, they're real, and you can see that after having gone through the most intense transformative experience of their lives, they're just not able to mask their true emotions and vulnerabilities. And I think we need more of that. All of us. We need to put down our armor and share openly first with ourselves and then with those people we love what's really going on inside. But then that circle needs to expand. We need to be willing to share with other new parents our highs and lows of parenting. I've said it before. Find your village. Now. Find that village of people who will celebrate your parenting success and listen to your parenting fails followed up by sharing a few of their own. Knowing just how challenging this parenting job can be and having realistic expectations about what's to come is empowering to new families. Because when they hit their most challenging moment of parenthood, they'll be less likely to think, how is it that everyone else seems to be able to do this thing and I can't? What's wrong with me or my partner or my baby? That's making this so hard. When people feel prepared and armed with realistic expectations about their roles, and they take off the damn rose-colored glasses, they end up feeling less isolated, alone, and incapable, and more able to partner and parent with confidence. All the things we should want for our families. How can you bring more realistic expectations into the work you do with families? If you're a parent, How could you help expectant parents have more realistic expectations about this time in their life? How could you reach out to other parents and find your village? We need to go to sleep at night expecting our alarm clock to go off on time the next morning, help us get out of bed and start our day. It's helpful to have the expectation that our water heater is working, so we'll get to have a nice hot shower. We have a set expectation about how long it takes us to drive into work, and that allows us to know when we need to leave in the morning to make it in on time. But we've all had times when these basic expectations were not met. The alarm clock never went off, or if it did, 
you hit the snooze button and slept through it repeatedly. Your teen switched things up and decided to take a morning shower. Plus, your husband forgot to run the dishwasher the night before and decides to run it in the morning, and now your shower is anything but nice and hot. You hop in your car and start your morning commute, only to get caught in terrible traffic because there's an accident miles up ahead. If we went to bed the night before knowing that our morning routine would be so disrupted that none of our expectations were going to be met, we probably wouldn't sleep very well. We might even have a sense of dread about getting up the next day. Y'all, it's not that hard to imagine calling in sick before heading off to bed just to avoid all the stuff that's going to ruin our tomorrow. Expectations are important, even necessary, for us to function in our day-to-day. But there are a few life experiences where having set expectations that might differ wildly from our reality that can cause long-term disappointment. Pregnancy, birth, and parenting need to be released from having any set expectations because these experiences tend to be wildly different from what we might have expected. And this can lead to what I call the disappointment gap. Let me break it down for you. Here are just a few examples of expectations that folks may have had about pregnancy versus their lived reality. I'll have a tiny, cute little baby bump. Everything is huge. My belly, my arms, my face, my butt. Maybe I'll have a little morning sickness, but not too much. Unless I'm sleeping, I'm puking my entire insides out all day long. Exhausted? A little bit. I mean, it's hard work making a baby. I should not be allowed to drive or operate large machinery. I'm a danger to myself and others. We're fully prepared to welcome this little person into our lives. We're becoming a family. How did this happen? I'm not ready for this. Are you ready for this? We either have to remodel or move, and we're going to need a bigger car. How about birth expectations versus reality? I'm going to have an unmedicated, zero-intervention birth. I ended up with a really, really complicated labor and an unexpected cesarean. I'm going to breathe my baby out. I'm going to have an orgasmic birth experience. What the hell? This hurts. This hurts a lot. And breathing? It's not working for me anymore, people. I've had an easy pregnancy, and I'm in great shape. I'll probably have an easy, fast labor. I'm really looking forward to it. My labor was really, really long. I was so exhausted and had no idea it would be hard. I pretty much hated every minute of it. I've done my research and written my birth plan, so I know how my birth is going to play out. My birth looked nothing like what I'd written on my birth plan. Then there are the parenting expectations that everyone's hoping for versus what they're really experiencing. Our baby will sleep through the night at eight weeks postpartum. At 12 months, we're still getting up at least twice a night to settle our baby down. Breastfeeding's going to be easy. I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world. Oh my God, this is so hard. Fingertip feeding, SMS kits, nipple shields, who knew? Parenting is instinctual. And I'll know what to do, most of the time. How do people do this? Am I supposed to know what to do? I don't. Having a baby will bring us so much closer together. Becoming a family will be wonderful. I feel like having a baby blew up our relationship 
It's driving us apart. Y'all, these are extremes, and I'm not saying this to scare anyone about pregnancy, birth, or new parenting. Far from it. What I'm interested in is sharing how the expectation and reality of these life-changing transitions can be two very different things. And the farther apart your expectation is from your reality in any of these huge life experiences, the more likely you are to feel disappointment, disillusionment, and maybe even a sense of betrayal. I think many who work with expecting families are concerned that if they speak openly and honestly of the challenges that might be a part of the pregnancy, birth, and new parenting experience, they're going to scare the crap out of families. But my experience has been completely the opposite. I think when families have a realistic idea about what to expect, overwhelmingly, they're grateful for the information that best prepares them for what might happen. It's super important that you've allowed your brain to even consider other possibilities for how your pregnancy, birth, and parenting might play out. Allowing your brain to think about those different possibilities, unexpected or maybe even undesirable, won't make them happen, y'all. But just by considering them, it provides a buffer if your expectations are not fully met. I'm one of the most positive and optimistic people you're ever going to meet. And I believe in working toward all that you're hoping for in pregnancy, birth, and parenting. But I also believe strongly in knowing what lies ahead. Feeling prepared for the different ways your pregnancy, birth, and new parenting experience might play out and not feeling tied to a set expectation goes a really long way in closing the disappointment gap. And then you're freed up to be curious, present, and in the moment as these life transitions become your reality. When you're able to be here, now, and not mourning the experience that should have been or worrying too much about the experience that's yet to come, you're more open to the transformation that can happen as you move through these experiences in real time. And you might just learn a thing or two about resilience. Resilience is that ability to recover from or adjust more easily to misfortune or change. The changes that are coming your way as you embark on starting a family are monumental, y'all. They happen at the speed of light and all at the same time. Being a resilient parent will help you cope with all the changes you'll be faced with in your new role. It'll help you adapt as an individual as well as a couple to the sometimes minute-by-minute changes that occur as you're learning how to parent a newborn, then a toddler, school-age, teen, and young adult. I've said it before, parenting is not for the faint of heart, y'all. It's hard work, and the unknowing nature of what exactly lies ahead is what makes it so challenging. If you can allow yourself to loosen the reins on this experience and begin doing this as early as possible in your pregnancy, the gap between your expectations and your reality will be closer together. And instead of feeling the pain of disappointment, you can begin to bask in the joy of satisfaction, satisfaction in the messy and in the mundane. Overcoming the normal challenges of real life builds resiliency. And the satisfaction of bouncing forward in turn builds confidence in your ability as an individual and as a couple to navigate what it is to become a family. And that helps to make the disappointment gap disappear.
In an experience as vulnerable as parenthood, there are lots of opportunities, how about we call them, to mess it up. I mean, to really mess it all up. The learning curve in this gig is steep, y'all, and some days you just might not be firing on all cylinders. You know what I mean? There's a lot to be said about being able to share those moments in time where you were anything but the picture of parenting perfection, because this brings parenthood back down to earth, you know, where we all actually live. If parents are honest, then they'll tell you that they're just making it up as they go along, like literally every day. Get up, try something, hope it works, rinse and repeat. This is especially true when you're brand spanking new at it. So here are a few examples of parenting misses that folks sent in to me that they were willing to share with you, dear listener, so you'd never feel alone in your role of parent. I'm going to start with one of my own to get the ball rolling. My super chunky first baby, who was always 110% on height and weight and had rolls for miles, loved to eat. And I had a ridiculous milk supply. Often my kiddo would fall asleep at the boob, drunk on the good stuff. We didn't bathe her daily because babies really don't get that dirty before they start crawling around. But we made sure she was clean, I promise. Anyway, one day after the feed and sleep routine was complete, I leaned in to get a good whiff of that awesome newborn baby smell, and I almost threw up. She smelled like a combination of spilled milk that's been pooling in the trunk of a car in the Arizona desert and Limburger cheese. It was not good. I couldn't figure out why, and it wasn't making any sense because we just bathed her the night before. But then I noticed the four or five rolls under her chin. Did I mention how much my kid liked to eat and that she had rolls everywhere? And I slowly lifted her first chin roll and discovered what can only be described as a cottage cheese factory. I had no idea that the drops of milk that escaped her mouth when she fell asleep, dreaming of the creamy goodness that came out of my body, would roll down her cheek and find its way into one of her neck folds to be lost forever to the naked eye. I was horrified. I felt like the worst mama ever, especially after I started to clean the area and realized that it was getting red and raw from never having been dried post-bath and pooling milk time. But you know what? You live and you learn. From that point on, I had a burpee with me at all times to wipe the corner of her sweet little mouth post-feeding. And you better believe I called in for backup when it was time to get in there and clean out those chin rolls, baby. Here are a few other stories that some brave and honest parents sent in to me to share with all of you. Meredith, Mama of Brooks, shares this. I let him lick a popsicle when he was five months old. The next morning, I thought he had pooped blood and had to come clean to the pediatrician, who laughed in my face. Lonnie, Mama to Matthew shares, took her five-month-old out for a hike, but when we got home, noticed a pretty big sunburn. No big, we got this. Tylenol, cool compress, aloe. Give the baby Tylenol. Goes down the wrong pipe, he throws it up, unamused, and starts screaming. We give him the aloe. He loves it. But when we add the cool compress, it makes the aloe run into his eyes. So within the space of a half hour, I Tylenol boarded and then almost blinded the baby. Needless to say, he was not amused. Looking back, it was a hilarious comedy of errors. And don't worry, y'all. Matthew totally survived, and according to his mama, he's now a very opinionated two-year-old. 
One experienced mama of two recounts the story that still bothers her today because some other woman felt the need to comment. Let this be a reminder that we're all doing the best we can on any given day, and if you don't have something nice and truly supportive to say, don't say anything at all. Oh man, I've got too many to count, but one that seems pretty common up here is dressing your babies appropriately for the weather. I had one time that I admit was a fail, and some very nice lady called me out on it and made me feel horrible. You can't lay your babies in much and then safely put them into the car seat. The weather can change significantly in moments in the Pacific Northwest. When my baby was six to seven months old, we were making a quick run into the store. It was mild outside. Another top layer would have been preferred, but I knew she wouldn't wear it in the car seat and we were quickly running indoors where it would be warm again. I put her in the seat with a blanket on top. Totally fine. Got to the store, had to park farther than expected. No big deal though. Again, the weather was mild and I could carry her in quickly. Leaving the store was a completely different story. It was suddenly dark, freezing rain and windy. We were basically running to the car. My baby was crying. She was in a basic cotton footy PJs. Long story short, my baby was freezing and I felt like total shit. On our run back to the car, a lady stopped, rolled down her window and yelled something unkind. I got the baby in the car, cradled her in the back seat with the heat blasting and cried my eyes out. Y'all, we're hard enough on ourselves. We don't need your help. Please, for all that is good and holy, keep your mouths shut. Mama Sarah shares, my biggest fail. I was sitting on the couch scrolling on my phone while my 12-month-old son was playing in the kitchen. I heard noises that I thought was him playing with pots and pans, which was fine. Then I realized the sound was him in the dishwasher, which was full. I found him sitting on the dishwasher door with a knife in his hands. He had a little slice on his hand, which I felt awful about. Then I picked him up and found a hole in his shirt. He'd stabbed himself. The only thing that kept him from being seriously injured was the thick diaper tab. I felt like such a failure as a mom. I cried so much. Two days later, he fell down the stairs because we left the baby gate open. Sleep deprivation is a beast. They don't prepare you for that to continue into toddlerhood. Nor do they tell you that your parenting fails will go on well beyond the newborn or toddler phase. I'm going to share a couple more of my own for good measure. My son was in preschool and at the time was really into collecting rocks. They all looked exactly the same, mind you, but to him, each one was special and unique. I picked him up from school, and he insisted that all 725 rocks had to come home with us. I encouraged him to put them in the trunk of the minivan because, really? So he dropped them all in, and I started to shut the door. At the last minute, he decided that rock number 342 was the most special and needed to be with him up front for the drive home. Can you guess what happened next? Yep. I slammed my son's head in the minivan door. Wham! Terrible. Awful. Couldn't believe I'd done it. And then realized there was an elderly woman outside in her garden who witnessed the entire thing. I feel compelled to point out that this same kiddo just turned 20 and seems to have suffered no long-term effects of getting his head slammed in the car door when he was three. So that's good. Final offering. We live about a block away from a great park here in Portland, which was our second home when my kiddos were little. And let's be honest, when it wasn't raining too hard. Because of the spacing of our kids, there were always times when I would be hanging out with the youngest one by themselves while the others were in school. 
and all four of them got to experience the same parenting fail. Each of them wanted to move out of the bucket swing to the regular swing a little bit before they had the hang of things. So this meant that they couldn't propel themselves and I'd have to push them. Inevitably, they would yell, Mommy, push me higher! And I would say, make sure you're holding on. And then they would get to experience their very enthusiastic mama pushing so hard that she pushed them right off the swing where they face planted onto the ground, got the wind knocked out of them, and silently scream cried with a mouthful of bark chips. All four times, there were too many witnesses to even count. But I want you to know that when it happened to the fourth and final kiddo, I ran over, picked him up, and whispered in his ear, you've just been initiated into the Buckner Suarez family. Funny? Not funny? Guess what? Only I get to be the judge, not anyone else. episode was heavily focused on the vulnerability that birthing folks feel postpartum, and specifically how it's tied to the more universal myths of what motherhood is supposed to be, an experience where we all know what to do all the time, and that somehow we're supposed to reach this point of perfection that's always out of reach. Here's the deal, y'all. Parenting perfection is bullshit. It doesn't exist, and when we continue to buy into the lie that it does, It doesn't allow for the beautiful gift of vulnerability to be present for ourselves or others. Instead, we continue to strive and then disappoint ourselves when we're only being human. We criticize and judge others who make different choices from ours so we can try to shore up those normal feelings of, and how am I supposed to do this again? I hope that you have at least one person that you can confidently celebrate with on the days when you're killing it as a parent but then also confide in and commiserate with on the days when parenthood is killing you. I gently encourage you to open yourself up just a tiny bit about how parenting is going for you. And allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you encourage others to do the same. I'm gonna give a shout out to my circle of confidants from over the years. I seriously would never have survived the early years and everything that happens after four times without all of them. And even though my kids are growing and launching, I still lean heavily on my people to help me at every age and stage of parenthood. Please, y'all, find your people. If you think there are folks who might benefit from knowing that vulnerability is normal in parenthood, please share Season 2 of Birth Happens with them. I'm wanting to reach as many people as possible with this message that embracing vulnerability is good for us. But I can only do so much. You sharing birth happens with others has such huge potential. And if you've got a minute, would you write a quick review? It really matters, and I swear I read every word. Thanks so much for your continued support. I'll see you next time on Birth Happens.